This is exactly right. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Hello, welcome to another episode of That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. I'm Lisa Traeger. And I'm Kara Clank. And every week we talk about an episode of SVU, the true crime it is based on, and we have a guest from the episode. And in the beginning, we just, we chit chat, we gossip. We get to, we pretend we don't talk every other day and text constantly. I like that you always have to do like an intro to like, and now we're going to talk. Kara, let's talk. (laughs) Well, I want to say the word banter, but then I don't want to, I don't want to say the same thing every day. I don't know. It just sucks because Trixie and Katya for on have the best intro of any show that's ever existed. (laughs) Yeah. Right. We talk about whatever we want because it's our show and not yours. And I think a lot of people need to take that to heart forever. It's just like, <laughs> it's just the perfect. It's just perfect. They're perfect. Um, we're perfect too. Whatever. Uh, we've, <laughs> we've had a very exciting week. Captain Cragen caused a Surrey. <laughs> yeah. Thanks to everybody for your positive comments about Cragen. We were also gooped and gagged that we got <laughs> to talk to the captain himself. And it was amazing. Yeah. And the painting, obviously, people are going crazy for the painting. It's like our most popular Instagram post we've ever posted. Yeah. Did I make up a word? Is stirry a word? Stirry? Yeah. I said everyone was in a stirry, but I don't think that's a word. I don't think that's a word. What's the word about Christmas? Everyone was chill except the the mice were stirring. 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 But yeah, but there's no noun of a stirry. (laughs) (laughs) But I think there could be one. Let's keep let's keep using it. (laughs) Speaking of a stirry, there was a big stirry on Twitter this week. (laughs) Well, because I was so involved with Cragen and reading everyone's like comments and posts and excitement about it all. I was then FaceTiming one of our friends at night and she's like, oh, did you see the Twitter commotion about alt-right comedy? Like... I don't know, scandal. And I was like, that is crazy how much Cragen took me out of this. Like I would be knee deep in the comments usually. Yeah, on any other day, you would have been like the top comment on that Twitter feud. (laughs) And because of Cragen, we were just like living in a different world. And then our friend uh, messaged me and he goes, oh, are you over Twitter fights? Like, have you gone past that? I go, I was fighting about the weekend Super Bowl performance. I didn't even watch it. I didn't even see it. And I was just in the comments being like, women are better. Go fuck yourselves. He sucks. Did not watch it. Like, I might even like it. I'm like, no, I loved I don't love to fight on Twitter. I didn't really watch it. I mean, I like his music, but I think the thing with The weekend is his his voice is great and he has great music. He could almost be like a Michael Jackson style perform, but he can't dance. So like to watch him perform is kind of boring. It is, boring. you know, so to pick him for the Super Bowl is kind of weird. So Joe Kim Booster, our friend, he has an amazing game where he plays actress or movie star. And you go through famous people and you decide if they're just an actress or a fucking movie star. And Mm -hmm. I think that can translate into are you a singer or are you a fucking entertainer? You know what I mean? Yeah. And anyone that argued with me, they're like, oh, men suck. What about Prince? I'm like, 
Oh, you mean the greatest of all time? Yeah, you're proving my point. You're proving my point. If your example is one of the greatest musicians that has ever graced us, um, yeah, I think I'm right. Okay? Yeah, the exception <laughs> is not the rule. Yeah, I just, you know, give me a firework. Give me a belly shirt. Give me a costume change. Anything. I just like. <laughs> I thought for sure someone else was coming out. I go, someone else is joining in a second freaking Dua Lipa is going to be out there. Like, and I couldn't believe it that it was just him. Yeah. And I didn't pay attention to anything. I was moving from a family friend's condo into an Airbnb and I was having mental breakdowns for days. (laughs) (laughs) I was fully not able to handle the stress. And also it was too cold to do steps. So I walked in circles in the parking garage, but I was listening to podcasts about um, a meth addict uh, sneaking into someone's home and stabbing everyone in the family. And I'm like, why am I doing this to myself? Just alone in a parking garage in loops, <laughs> listening to a surprise stabbing. Like, I don't, I don't know what was wrong with me, but I couldn't stop. I, you are a glutton for punishment. That's really psycho. <laughs> it is very psycho. But yeah, what do you think about the alt-right community? <laughs> no. Um, big fan. No, uh, no, I, I think it's sad because, you know, I came up in New York comedy and I think it's sad that this alt-right sort of cloud has sort of infested New York. You know, I really hope that that's not the case fully, but it's also funny to have the article come out now when nobody is doing comedy except for COVID deniers, you know, just, I know it's like, this is a huge problem. It's like, okay, we'll fix it as soon as comedy comes back. Like, I don't understand. Yeah. No one's doing stand up right now. No one at all. It is uh, pretty wild. Except I keep hearing about bad clubs that are letting people do indoor shows and mics and stuff. And I'm like, what? A mic? Not worth it. Well, and, you know, we joke about this a lot personally, but like when you see the people that are touring, you're like, that would you're going to risk death for this guy. (laughs) You know what I mean? And a lot of people where you're like, oh, you would never be playing these venues If it was normal times either, like COVID is your biggest career boost, which is like kind of sad. I don't know. I'm not naming names. One of the people is a great friend of mine. It's really hard. I don't know. Like <laughs> it, the judgment's hard. Cause like for sometimes I'll see people breaking COVID shit and I'm like, you're the worst person in the world. And then a friend is going to Mexico and I'm like, listen, you deserve it. You've gone through <laughs> enough. So I'm a hypocrite on the way I like forgive people all the time. No, I feel like I have some friends where I think our friendship is going to be changed because of their COVID behavior. Really? Yeah. Like I, I feel like I can't ignore how bad some people were during COVID. Like while the rest of us were stuck inside sacrificing, they were just living life. That pisses me off. And they convince themselves that they're not bad too. Right. I feel that's the thing. Cause I do follow one um, superstar porn star, Abella danger, and she's wiling out, but she gets tested twice a week, but she on her story goes, listen, I'm reckless. I'm not behaving well, but at least I get tested. And I was like, that's at least better. I kind of liked it. I respected it. <laughs> I don't mean to put her on blast. I mean, she's very popular, <laughs> but yeah, she's clubbing and flying and stuff, but she is getting tested multiple times a week. I just like that she admits that she's reckless. Yeah, no, yeah, for sure. I also, this is kind of a bummer, but I do want to mention it. It's not a bummer, but I listened to a podcast that Karen and Georgia have highlighted called This Is Actually Happening. And I listened to an episode that I think maybe you guys would enjoy. And it was about Amita Swadeen. She was a victim of incest, but she's just like an amazing speaker, but she highlighted things that we try to highlight in this show about like the system failing and how hard it is for victims. And she just like 
I don't know. She it was just really well done. And she brought up one point that she was 13 years old. She had been raped by her father from age four. And she was in interrogation and like the cop was trying to get info from her. And this was a lot for her. And she started to cry. And the cop said, listen, you're going to need a lot of therapy, but I'm not a social worker. I'm a cop and I'm just here for the facts. And I just was shocked. And it's kind of things that we try to highlight, but it was wild just hearing her talk about that. It's her experience. She's a 13 year old like rape survivor crying. And that's what an authority uh, person what, yeah. told her. And she, another thing I don't think about enough is like how coping mechanisms from those things can be destructive. And yet we judge teens and people for having these destructive behaviors without, without thinking about why they are doing these things. Mm-hmm. We judge like promiscuous teens or people that, are, you know, self-harm or get into drugs, but we don't think about what happens to them. And what they're coping from. And this ties into the true crime today, actually, doesn't it? Yeah, you're right. That's a very smooth save, Kara, from my <laughs> depressing fucking uh, No, I'm not trying start. to say that. No, this podcast sounds really great, and I would love to listen to it. And I think, honestly, you should maybe switch over to that podcast instead of um, no. the one about the math addict. <laughs> I think oh, yes, yes. For yes. when you're doing garage steps. I yeah. think let's switch to something a little and bit more. And she's a badass, and she's been working for victims in the government for over 20 years and went to Georgetown. And I followed her on Instagram and stuff, but I was just very interested since we try to talk about these things and then having someone talk about it no that's awesome that's a great that's a great shout out and then february continues it's black history month lisa i think you have a few more wrecks yeah but one that you're going to be really excited about so in thrilling news i don't think she needs any promo but heidi and closet had a song that came out yesterday which is thrilling for me I that just is love the her. soft and supple miscongeniality from season 12 of RuPaul's Drag Race. For those of you that don't know, get into drag music. It is so fun, especially if you're doing steps, walking, doing anything where you just want to feel uplifted. Drag music is really, really fun. All the queens have great music. Oh, it sure is. Um, yeah, for Black History Month, I wanted to shout out some fun comedy specials on Netflix that I enjoyed. Oh, great. Yeah, Michelle Buto. Oh, my gosh. Everything Michelle Buto does. Also, her book, Survival of the Thickest. Yeah. And then Sam J was my favorite special of the year. I thought it was great. It was called Three in the Morning, and it made me laugh a lot. And then this person doesn't need anything, but Wanda Sykes' special is so good. It is. <laughs> I mean, she's like a legend, but I, yeah, it is. Happy to help out these upstart comics. Wanda <laughs> Sykes, everybody. That's S-Y-K-E-S. <laughs> and I'm really excited. I don't, I'm not really a reader, um, but I did buy Roxanne Gay's book, Bad Feminist, and I'm really hoping that I will read. I will yes, read. Lisa, get into it. Because I love her on Twitter. You can do it. She has enemies. She loves housewives. Like, she is my favorite. Oh, she does. I know. That's why I know her a lot from from when she's been on Bitch Sash and stuff. I love her. Okay, well, now let's jump into our episode. Let's get into Mean. All right, let's dive into episode 17 of season five. So... We've clipped right along to season five of the show and we're heading towards the exits with episode 17. All right. (laughs) So we start with the discovery of the body, which is like kind of a funny man and a woman who are trying to tow the car. and They're having a little bit of like funny banter with each other, which is how these people get good material for their reels. And uh, they see blood coming from like the trunk of this car that they're in the process of towing. It's a BMW. And it's like, it's like, 
it's like a blood slushy because it's freezing out and snowing. I just so there's truly like all this slushy blood coming out. Can't imagine uh, New York City to people noticing, caring. Yeah, anything. being like, oh, blood. Anyway, moving on. And yeah. they had patches on their outfits. And I didn't realize tow truck people like it was like a patches official thing. It looks uh, like a badge. Oh, they could have been from like the transportation of the city that tows people, though. Mm. Like not like a private tow company. Got it. So yeah. that does exist. Yeah, I think that exists. So when the cops get there, they find in the trunk of the car, a female with no ID or clothing on. She's had her throat slashed, but she's also covered in like a hundred tiny, small cuts. Um, everything is pre-mortem. And it seems like most of it took place actually in the trunk. And then she bled out before she froze to death, but it took four hours. So Ugh. it's like not it's like a cigarette burns. Yeah. It's like an absolutely horrible, brutal way to die. And they uh, get a missing persons report from Westchester County from that the car is registered to Greg Sullivan and he's the one that called in the report. So we're getting the picture that this is his daughter. So we, we're now speaking to Gregory Sullivan, the father of Emily, the girl who was found in the car. And he just um, looks like any blonde Yeah, he just looks guy. like a sad dad. He's like, she told me she was sleeping at her friend's house, Andrea Kent. I left a message for her on the answering machine and she called back 15 minutes later. So like I knew she was at this house but then they're realizing that she was probably never at the house and they interview andrea's mom and she's like slept over on a school night not a chance like she's like well they also let her know that this girl is dead and she goes oh my daughter will be upset why yeah. aren't you upset yeah, yeah it this was... is your daughter's friend she's been in your home i'm sure you've gone out to dinner together any teenager dying in your community it's like you if you, even if you don't know the person you're like Oh my God, what a tra like tragedy. That's horrible. Like this coldness. Cause I know that's part of that. Part SV of it is, yeah. is like people don't care. You know, they keep yeah. doing their bartending work, but this is someone <laughs> that's been in your home and she's like, I'm rushing to work. I have to go to work. The talk to my daughter. And it's like, you're just sending the police to talk to her. What the fuck lady? Yeah. yeah. No it's crazy. I'm mean, not to ruin it. No wonder your daughters are fucking lunatics. Yeah. And it's like, these people are always rushing around and it's, who I, wants to go to work? Yeah. Why? Who's rushing to get to work? You know what? You can tell them when you get to work. Hey, I was talking to the cops. It's a pretty good excuse. And I want to say, I would go get brunch. People, I would extend it. Yeah. I want to say most people, even though talking to the cops is not great, but if you're not the one that's being interrogated, if you're just literally being asked for like side information, I think that's probably kind of an exciting part of your day. And these people are like, I got to go to work. Like it just doesn't really no, make I sense. Was, uh, the FBI called me because of some Twitter drama and I was thrilled oh, to yeah. answer their questions. And another Clear time, your schedule for the FBI. <laughs> yeah. But I was still sassy to him. He's like, where do you live? I'm like, I'm not telling you. And it's like, it's the FBI. But yeah, they found my phone number. I'm sure they can figure out where I'm located. Another time I was excited, um, not talking to a police officer, but I got to do jury duty. Yeah. I had the time of my life. I was picked. I got to sit in the jury box. I made everyone laugh a couple times. I asked, answered questions. Yeah. And was, I, I mean, I loved it. Look, I understand why being interrogated by the cops or being arrested for no reason is bad. But like if the cops came to me and were like, hey, I just seen a little bit of information about your friend Lisa, I'd be like, let's talk. Yeah. Or like <laughs> one time I worked at a hair salon and across the street on like half price appetizer night, someone stabbed someone in the neck with a fork <gasps> in the street. Of course, the cops came. They wanted our surveillance footage. And I was trying to get the scoop. I wanted yeah. to know yeah. what was happening. I understand if you're being hounded by the police because you're a person of color and you're living in a neighborhood that they over police and you're just like, fuck right, the police. Right, right. But if you're some bitch in Long Island, this should be a once in a lifetime thing. And you should give a little bit more 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So now we're at the school. I believe it's called Tanner Day. It's clearly like a private school. And Um, the principal is a used car salesman. Yeah. The principal (laughs) is an actor I've seen in tons of other stuff. He looks like he pays women to step on his balls and like squeeze them and piss in his mouth for sure. (laughs) Yeah. He seems like that type. Um, So he basically says Emily was well liked, friends with everyone. She was on the homecoming court, a shining star. Just want to point out I was on the homecoming court. It's like a huge part of my life. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know why I was. It was kind of a fluke. Anyway, it's good that I wasn't because I'd still be talking about it. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> I would love it. The way that we found out who was the homecoming queen too, is they gave you all a wrapped flower and then we opened it at the pep rally. And like, if you had the red flower, you were the, the homecoming queen. Wow. And I had a white flower. It wasn't me. Anyway, I was um, homecoming queen. Thank you. You are. Our producer was homecoming queen. Hannah, I can sort of tell that. I feel like you'd have a good wave. Um, okay. So at the school, we finally we meet Emily's best friends. This is like her little group of girls. So there's Paige Summerby, who's in a cheerleader outfit with wispy bangs. With wispy bangs. Brittany O'Malley, who has got like super, super over dyed blonde hair. And then Andrea Kent, who uses self tanner for sure. And she's from John Tucker Must Die. Yeah. Um, they say and they're all blonde, and then the brunette is murdered, and that is upsetting too. Yeah. Um, they say they don't know the number that Emily's dad called. So Stabler completely calls their bluff, runs over to a phone, calls it. Britney's cell phone starts ringing and she's like, I'm sorry, Emily asked me to do it. Well, it's even smarter than that. Just her cell phone rings. Her cell phone, her voicemail. Cell phone voicemail has been changed to say, like, you've reached the Kent family. Like, so they've fully set it up. And I feel as though. But also, it's like, you know, Stabler's about to do a police trick. Why not just confess before you get embarrassed? I mean, this is for cinematic value. Of Thank course. You. <laughs> but these girls just sitting there waiting to be caught. Yeah. And it's like, oh, OK, 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 OK. It's my phone. It's my phone. And who are these? The balls on these teens to lie to the cops. I know. Well, we find out why I think yeah. later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, <laughs> and again. Great acting. Yes. So these girls say that like they helped Emily because she was supposed to go have a big romantic date with this guy who's 23. Okay. Meanwhile, I just want to check in on Benson's hair. Her bob has like grown out. It's like a sort of a long bob, perfectly highlighted. And she needs the combination to Emily's locker. So in Emily's locker, they find a signed headshot from a guy named Lucas. I'm like, what is she, a dry cleaner? Why does she have headshots but of people? Then what's also funny is Benson goes, what is he, an actor? Yes. Yeah. Great. When you great see a headshot work. with a name on it. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. So they go to the park to talk to him. He's in some kind of like veggie tales group where they're all dressed up like fruit and they're singing in the park on a rainy day. It looks like the saddest job you have to do to make money as an and actor. This is again, another SVU thing. So he's dressed as the grapes. So they're talking yeah, they to walk the grapes up and they go, we got to talk to the grapes. But what's wild again, where it's like, why if I was on a set and the police came to talk to someone, I'd be trying to listen. Yeah. The other fruits just kept dancing. <laughs> And also, how are you going to get the shot without the grape for continuity? It was just like, I don't know why the director didn't go take five fruits. Like, <laughs> I don't understand why they kept dancing. 
we'll edit the grapes back in and post. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. That's funny. I never really thought about all of the, uh, logistics of it, but Lisa, that's good. Good work. Thank you. Um, so the grapes is this guy named Lucas. He said he didn't know Emily was 16 when he found out he broke it off. Uh, Stabler tells us little fruits alibi checked out. So the fruit guy is like, yeah, he said he was on a movie set. Yeah. So the fruit guy we think is not part of it any longer. Don't don't hold on. <laughs> Emily's uh, phone just made a call. They track it to this guy who is at a comic book shop talking to a phone sex operator about Kathleen Turner and how she was really hot when she was thin. I don't know what's going on, but that sounds like the kind of guy who would have attended Cosmicon Grand Rapids. The other kind of person who would have attended Cosmicon Grand Rapids, my husband, you know, if that existed, he'd be there. <laughs> um, this guy was just like a nerd. He's like, I was at this comic con thing and I just found this phone on the street. They get her phone open. They check all these text messages and they see that Emily was actually sending pages and pages and tons and tons of horrible, threatening, mean texts. They find out who they're to a girl named Agnes Linsky. They go to her house. And you know, the name Agnes is just, sorry, you're, you're your not gonna, Agnes. Yeah, you're not going to meet like the head cheerleader at the house. It's when not she's harassing name. someone named Agnes Linsky. Sorry to bring it back to the Simpsons, but it means lamb of God. <laughs> oh, Agnes, it does. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Agnes's father is like, I'm not sorry she's dead. So you get the feeling that Agnes and Emily have like a long history of bullying. Well, and the dad on. is like mad that Benson doesn't know the inner politics of high school. He's like, you know, damn well, that bitch isn't friends with my daughter. And, and it's, it's like, like, no, she, she doesn't. doesn't. She's a cop. <laughs> she's not like a social studies teacher. <laughs> so uh, the principal pulls Agnes out of class and she she does say she's like the principal just kisses all those girls asses. And I say that I will say that does happen. Like, yeah. I think that like principals and teachers definitely get as seduced by popular girls as like the rest of the kids do you know like they don't really see they're like she seems like a lovely girl they don't see like the horrible shit they're doing behind the scenes yeah, i hate the mentality of like you know strengthen up take the bully yeah and it's like just punish the bullies so Benson kind of has this nice heart to heart with Agnes where she tells her that she said to herself in school, like you have to imagine like a devastatingly beautiful young Mariska Hargitay just sitting alone at lunch because she doesn't want anyone to know her mom's an alcoholic. But yeah, no, Agnes you know, is not having it. Agnes She's like, you would like, be popular. Sure, okay, <laughs> Olivia. So... Basically, we find out Emily's been doing all this horrible shit, like started a rumor about Agnes when her mom died that said her mom left because she was so ugly. I mean, that's like just a disgusting. Sometimes when I watch these shows, I'm like, I don't think kids can be this cruel. Like on 13 Reasons Why, they're all like, you got raped, loser. Like, it's like, I don't think kids are that bad, but maybe I'm just naive and my child's not in high school yet. No, you're naive. Um, well, I don't know. When I was in school, no one ever slapped books out of people's hands, never like slushied people. Like there, there's all this mean shit in TV I got shows. Egged. You got egged in school? In my Cinderella costume outside. Not in school, but I got egged as a teen. On Halloween? Yeah. Oh, so that's pranky. It's not like Lisa <laughs> sucks and we had egg in the hallway. I don't know. It just seems different. One boy stole my yearbook and drew all these dicks in it and drew like dicks on my face and I told on him and he had to buy me a new yearbook and then everyone was pissed, but I'm like, I want my yearbook. <laughs> I don't, my mom's going to be sad that I have a yeah. Sharpie dick on my face. Well, I'm not saying kids are not super cruel with words. I guess I mean more the physical. Like, I never thought kids were getting, like, beat up when I was in school. But that could have just been my school. Beat up or, like, physically harassed. Anyway, we find out Emily... Um, Maybe I just keep thinking of more and more stories from my high school being like, where did I go to school? Because <laughs> one time this cousin of someone came in and then found this girl, but found the wrong girl to beat up, wrapped her hair around her head and smashed, kept smashing her face 
face into the ground over and over again. And the girl was never the same scent. Like, truly. And then another girl in junior high, someone threw a brick at her head. Again, never the same after that. So shit was going down yeah, in Skokie. I don't, I don't know, know what I went to, to say. school in Connecticut. We didn't have that. Seems that seems worse. <laughs> like I said, no physical stuff. And then GBN, the uh, one of the other high schools that had a great swim team, they had intern like national not intern. They had national news because of their hazing, and there was like pig shit, and a girl sprained her ankle in the woods, okay. and it was just. I think something was going on in the North Shore, and I'm I, I don't know. You need to talk to someone about it. <laughs> You've not processed it. I processed <laughs> it. I mean, I wish I didn't get egged. It was like a cute outfit, but whatever. Yeah. Okay. So back to this episode. Agnes is basically like, we were all friends when we were little. I don't really know why things changed and it's like yeah things changed because of like hormones and kids becoming assholes emily catfished agnes as a boy she liked texted her to like kill herself like texted her all this horrible stuff so she was like the other girls are mean too but i was emily's special project and uh she's just saying like you know it really bears down on you you don't want to get out of bed in the morning and she says she's happy she's dead agnes says she was home alone when the when the attack happened so even though she's like a prime suspect but benson doesn't think she did it uh, and the school knew what was happening with all this bullying and did nothing. So then they get this call that Brittany O'Malley was attacked at school. So Brittany's the overdyed blonde one. And Troy, Agnes's brother, is the one who did it. He said he only pushed her. And uh, and you might recognize Troy from The Sopranos. Oh, is that him? He, he was the, the kid. Yeah. Oh. Um, and you know he's a bad boy because he has a diamond earring. Stud. Yeah. He doesn't give a fuck. He'll push a girl. Um, so <laughs> he basically says it was an accident. And the reason he did it is because Brittany took pictures of Agnes changing in the locker room and sent them around. Now, we know from SVU that that kind of counts as, ch- as child pornography. Yes. But Agnes is 18. Yeah. And they handle that so seemingly because I wanted to say too, like, oh, and then I was like, nope, nope. they mentioned they she mentioned was 18. she's 18. You're right. You're right. So the guy, the kid, the younger brother is like, nobody's protecting my sister. The school's not. The cops aren't like she illegally disseminated nude photos. Like, what are you going to do about that? So they go to talk to Brittany at the hospital where she's recovering from what looks like a scratch on her forehead from this major attack. And, um, her mom is like, these kids were nothing but nice to that girl. And look what they get for it. Like, this is just a total in denial mom. And Brittany's like, shut up, mom, go get the plastic surgeon. Like she talks to her mom. That's a red flag right there of someone who's like a sociopath is like when you can just tell your mom to shut the fuck up and she listens to you. Like, I'm sure I've screamed, shut up at my mom. Well, that's all fine. But how is the mom like still defending the daughter as she's screaming, shut the fuck up, go get the plastic yeah. surgeon. Like you dumb bitch. Yeah. And she's like, my daughter is so nice. How dare you? Right. Like, I don't understand these dumb parents. I don't get it. So then they show Brittany the f- photos on the flip phone that she took and all these, like, this is a classic episode from the two thousands and the flip phones are really taking me back. I had such a good flip phone. It was so sleek and shiny and it flipped and I loved a flip phone. Did you phone. have a razor or something? No, it was a imitation razor from like Samsung or something. I was a Nokia a girl. Oh, I had a Nokia when I lived abroad. I love snake. Anyway, she said she took the picture of Agnes naked in the gym to get back at her for killing Emily. So she's like trying to like she killed, she my, killed friend, my best friend. Right? Yeah, yeah and it. did this whole act. So we find out from the medical examiner that there was nail polish in the wound. So the killer was probably a female. And then they say, or a metrosexual that stabler says that. I think you're not allowed to say metrosexual anymore. So clearly a relic of an episode. Yeah. Um, and it's just funny what metrosexual was because it just meant like men that bathed. 
Yeah. It was like, it's like, oh, do you co- use comb lotion? your hair? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then they find a hair in the duct tape that's color treated, super blonde. So that's like kind of leading them back to this group of girls. Yeah, like, that, that means they like, were more you involved. know any bottle blondes? And yeah. they go, we know a few a of few. them. <laughs> so Huang is there explaining relational aggression and it's how boys are socialized to show their anger and girls are socialized to be nice. So that's a little bit how these... Uh, these little clicks show up. And I love Huang's like um, little tidbits. Like that was really insightful to me because, you know, there are those rumors of like girls are so much meaner than boys and, you know, teen girls are the worst. They're the most vicious. And it's, it's nice to have a little bit of reasoning why women do fight the way they fight. And, uh, and you know, right. The so tools so they they're use. basically talking about how, like, instead of telling you what you did wrong that I don't like, cause that's you, not nice. You just ice someone out and get everyone else to turn against her too, which girls definitely do that stuff. All the are time. passive aggressive and boys are, yeah. are you know aggressive to aggressive fight. yeah so uh stables like these little clicks are like the mafia nobody knows nothing so uh they go talk to a- wait no but this is my favorite and then benson the cop of the year award goes actually i saw a sign for peer counselors <laughs> while i was at the school let's right. go talk to them <laughs> we like- didn't have this at my school these are just like other students that like help students with their problems i think this is a tv trope because this happens in daria too. i don't i've never heard of a peer counselor yeah so they go and talk to this girl and she's like yeah these girls are she's like i like them fine but they're mean um so then we have this really sweet conversation with terry emily's neighbor now this reminds me exactly of heather's because this is like betty finn in heather's or freak she's the at-home friend yeah she's her friend from at home they were friends when they were little and like they're only friends like sort of outside of school and um she said that emily was really like starting to talk about college pull away from these mean girls she was like into meeting new people and she's admits that she really didn't like Brittany um, and that Emily hooked up with Brittany's boyfriend, Lucas, the grapes. Okay. So the grapes is back into the episode. Um, we get to Lucas's apartment. He is a struggling actor dressing up as grapes in the middle of central park to make money. And he's got a massive apartment with no roommates. I mean, you guys want to talk about the friends apartment being unrealistic. Let's get into some of these SVU apartments. That yeah, could be but its you own. Know what? What we know about most people in the entertainment business, rich parents. That's true. Papa could be paying. Yeah, for that that's one. true. That's true. Brittany uh, apparently asked Lucas to hit on Emily as a friendship test, but Emily was into it. And then Lucas says Brittany freaked out and is a total psycho. And he thinks that Brittany poisoned his cat buttons. R.I.P. Buttons. He basically said that the girls called him that night. Brittany called him that night and said, we're coming by this set, have a case of beer ready. And then when he tried to put the case of beer in the trunk, they all freaked out. So this is getting sketchier and sketchier. They arrest these girls at the pep rally. I also am mad that they have not arrested this guy for fucking a harem of teens. I'm buying yeah. beer for teens. Yeah, they have not. He Lucas gets off scot-free. And the whole thing of like, but she looked older. Like, I just he's everything I hate. Yeah, he should have been arrested for statutory grape. <laughs> Oh, okay. Sorry, he's the grapes. Okay, so they arrest these girls at the pep rally. They first get uh, the cheerleader, and then they pull the other two girls out of the stand. It's kind of amazing. I love and Agnes. I love popular girls getting like severely embarrassed by getting arrested at school. And then Um, Agnes Agnes looks pumped as they're leaving. She's like so excited. Smug. Yeah. They question all the girls separately. They kind of bop around to each one of them. And honestly, the girl that plays Paige has like two lines. I think she's not getting paid as much as the other actresses. They just don't have her say much. I think she's an under five. But um, they talk about how they 
asked Emily to go out that night. It was Andrea's birthday. They wanted to go out for the night and have some fun, but they also wanted to confront her about being a bad friend because you don't date friends, boyfriends, or hit on their ex-boyfriends or whatever the deal is. And Brittany's like, it was a joke. We tied her up and in the duct tape, but somebody else is the one that killed her. <laughs> okay. Like, all right. That's like, you're really pushing it. So they, be, they, so they say she needed to know you can't do whatever you want. There are rules. You can't steal someone's boyfriend. So that's why they were basically going to bind her and freak her out. Like she's naked in the back of a car in the middle of winter. I mean, that's not how you teach a friend that there are rules. Um, so Novak lays down the law and says, no one's going to buy your bullshit. And then Andrea and Paige kind of flip on Brittany. <laughs> why are you like, being so immediately. mean to us? Like yeah. they immediately They're are like, victims. You're being so it's like, mean. You murdered somebody yeah <laughs> like what so the other two girls are basically like britney went psycho and i can buy that britney maybe had cuticle scissors on her but then they say and then she pulled out a knife i'm like she just had a knife on her like okay um she's just carrying one around and then um britney tells her mom to shut the hell up again and then she goes off in interrogation when she finds out that her two friends have flipped on her so then they and the the defense attorney they have is the oil tycoon richard gear type britney has an oil tycoon type lawyer the lawyer for the other girl's are um judy oh, king God. from orange judy is new king black. from orange is new black and then the other guy that we just talked about on another his the actor's name is ned eisenberg and i'm forgetting what the guy oh is. yeah i'm forgetting what the uh character's name is but we know these lawyers they've been on a couple episodes of the show um they want to sever Paige and uh andrea's case from britney's because now it's becoming clear that like britney's the mastermind britney did all the actual violence so then her lawyer of course is trying to get a deal and one of my favorite quotes comes up and he goes listen my client's off her nut <laughs> and I love that. He goes, she's a fucking lunatic. Let's get these other bitches. Yeah. <laughs> so we're back with uh, in the judges chambers. It's Judge Petrovsky, one of my faves. They argue that uh, Andrea and Paige were under the spell of Brittany and they're not arguing diminished capacity. They're arguing that they had no free will because they were under the spell of a charismatic antisocial leader, essentially like what would be like a cult defense, you know? So the mom mentality, they said, that was used in the Reginald Denny trial. But then everyone's like, but there was no mob. And they're like, you can kind of say that like high school is the mob and that like there's a small group mob mentality. Yeah. So Petrovsky allows it. And uh, Brittany makes a deal to tell the jury everything goes. I really don't care. I'm I'm getting the real Melania vibes from her. Yeah, she's very, I'm happy to testify. I'll say everything. I don't give a fuck. Yeah. This is a sociopath. This is a killer. And this is someone that it's so sad someone had to die, but it's good that this person's in prison. Like these are people that should not be on the streets. So Brittany testifies that the other girls had the opportunity to leave and that they held her down and they never left. And that when they were done, they just got waffles and then took the train home. They never said stop. She said the other girls were having fun. And then they mentioned later that Brittany bought a knife. So at least she wasn't carrying one around. I was right. They did justify it later and say she like ran into a shop at night and bought a knife. Bought I don't cigarettes know how you do that. and a knife. Yeah. And so it's like while Brittany was gone, you could have let little Emily escape right. or drive away. You chose not to. Yeah. So they're calling it small group dynamics. It's when the individual identity fuses with the group and that that is the problem that they're interviewing a a psychiatrist and that's what she, a psychologist, excuse me. And she's explaining small group dynamics and saying that this is, you see it with cults and with like guys in the army and stuff like that. So intense situations create intense solidarity and that's the defense they're going for, for these girls. So um, Novak is just insulting them and is like, if you think a teen doesn't have free will, I think she's just weak and weak. 
weakness and, is not a defense yeah. for murder. And this is Novak as a brunette, if I'm not uh, mistaken. Maybe. This yeah. is a, a it's Novak. A darker, it's a darker Novak. Yeah, Novak in a brunette look. So basically, there's a huge twist where these girls, um, you know... You know what I call it? Yeah. My L. Woods moments. The L. Woods moment. Yeah. So the L. Woods moment happens when Andrea is on the stand and she mentions it's her birthday. And here we go with Novak just gets the light bulb above her head and is like, wait a minute, your birthday is in January. So you're a Capricorn, right? And what's your birthstone? A garnet? And she's like, but you're wearing a class ring and it's a sapphire. That's my birthstone, a September birthday, which is also Emily's birthday. It's Emily's ring. This bitch wore the ring of the girl she killed to testify in court ballsy yeah so their whole thing is like they're crying they're sad britney made us we hated every moment yet i went yeah. shopping off her dead body right and then she's like Paige gave it to me and Paige is like you liar you took her prada purse so now we're really getting the idea that these girls just like pillaged the body of their dead friend and that they are all completely psychopaths who are like off their rockers they all get guilty on all counts but then well this is my favorite it's a 15 minute jury deliberation the detectives and novak are celebrating in the hallway and it's like this is svu baby yeah. nothing is this there's easy. never a 15 minute <laughs> no. you we just did an episode where you talked about a man who held, helped a woman as a slave for seven and a half years and they deliberated for two and a half days Oof. so like there's definitely that's definitely a 15 minute liberation seems wild um so they're guilty on all counts and then the cops hear that there's shots fired at the school when they get to the school they the dumb principal standing there being like what could i have done <laughs> yeah someone has painted agnes the pig squealed on a locker and there is the dead body of just a blonde girl on the ground it's not a character we've met before and agnes is being arrested and there's a dead pig hanging too yeah there was they hung a dead pig also on the locker and um agnes says they went to jail and it didn't even make any difference it was never gonna stop so really, this episode is just like an indictment on bullying. And, and then what we discussed was, what if Brittany's in jail with Agnes? And then it really oh won't God. stop. Oh, God. It's never going to stop if you guys end up at the same facility. <laughs> Are you kidding? I mean, that's the, the I want a sequel. I want these best friends in jail. in jail. Well, hopefully Agnes is able I think to Agnes get into it. is a boss in jail. Yeah. She runs shit in jail and makes Britney's life hell in my fanfic. In your fanfic. But I think Britney, like maybe uh, more people would want to fuck her and she's richer. So she could like <laughs> buy them commissary. Yeah. I don't know. I don't. I think Britney still rules the school in jail. Yeah, probably. I think those sociopaths thrive in jail and the people that are like, oh, no, I committed a crime because like. I was pushed to it or defense or something. They're not going to rule the school yeah. in jail. Uh, but we're going to take a quick break and we come back. We're going to get to the real crime. This was based on. All right. Welcome back. Um, I'm going to set the scene. It's the 90s. 
Yes. The craft's coming out. Yes. Buffy, the occult is in. Yes. We're scared of satanic cults. Um, are there satanic preschools, you oh. know, uh, remnants from the 80s? So that's the vibe of the world. You know, were you a witchy girl? No. Never? No. You never bought any spell books from Barnes & Noble? No. Okay, so I was. <laughs> I was definitely buying spell books. I was definitely burning stuff in the yard, like mixing wow. stuff. I want it. Yeah, I was. I was deep into the witch. Yeah. Um, so that's what's happening. But Shanda, we're in August 1991. Shanda Cher is not that vibe. She loves pop music. She has big ass curls, whole can of hairspray. And she was really close to their mom. They hung out a lot. Uh-huh. And she was just, she's kind of like the typical teen 90s vibe. Yeah. Um, looks like a sweet girl. She did gymnastics, basketball, cheerleading, social butterfly. Um, but this was when she was in Kentucky. She was going to a private school. Her mom decides, let's move closer to your father and stepmother. You love them. You get along. So they move to Indiana. Shanda's happy. She gets to be with all her family. But she starts in a public school. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is giant and it's so much bigger than our other school. So we're in seventh grade at the new school. And this drama starts with this girl who's her new friend says, I want to break up with my boyfriend. Will you give him back the ring that he gave me? And she's desperate for new friends. She's new at a school. She did, She's like, yeah, of course yeah. I'll do this. So she goes to this guy and is like, my friend's breaking up with you. Oh, here's the ring. <laughs> and the guy's cousin is this chick, Amanda. And so Amanda is like, what the fuck are you doing to my cousin? I'm going to protect my fucking cousin. Very New Jersey housewife vibe. So she, you know, they start fighting. Shanda gets shoved. It's a physical altercation bump on her head. And after the fight, she was put in detention for a week. For giving a ring back? Well, they fought. Yeah. But this is another thing. And when the teachers do get involved, they punish the wrong kids. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like they have the, oh God, I hate everybody. <laughs> Deep breath. I know. Well, you know what I mean? Where it's like you get called bad names and you fight back and then you're in yeah, trouble. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's so bad. Not that this is what happened, but. It just reminded me of adults. So after the fight, she's put in detention for a week. But then Amanda and Shanda actually become friends in detention instead of fighting. And the mom is like, excuse me, you're friends with this bitch who hit you. I don't like that. And she's like, we get along. And this is classic, like the movie 13. I don't know if you've seen, but any bad girl teen, even the, in Full House, you know, the little, the little girl, whatever. A bad Wait, teen. Wait, what's the cousin's name who she becomes friends with? Amanda. Amanda. Yeah. So Amanda and Shanda. Yeah. Yeah. That's cute. I bet they totally said that. Yeah. Yeah. They had groups called Shamanda. <laughs> so, um, but this is really shocking for the early 90s, really thrilling. Amanda is an out lesbian and has a girlfriend named Melinda Lovelace. And they're in a relationship. They're 16. Um, well, Melinda was held back. Mm-hmm. So that's why she's in the same grade, but older. Okay. okay so, um, you know, they're in a relationship. They're very open about the relationship, which for this time period is pretty exciting to yeah. be like teen lesbians out and about. They got harassed for being gay. They don't give a fuck amanda did break up with melinda to hang out with shanda because she realized shanda's younger and she can control her she doesn't need melinda's older energy she wants to control shanda okay so you know there's a lot of love letters compliments do you like girl and shanda's 12 Oh, my God. BT does. She's 12 during this. Um, She didn't have a defined sexuality. Uh Um, That's from her mom. I mean, maybe she she knew she was gay. Like, who knows? Or maybe she wasn't gay. I don't know. It doesn't matter. These are young people. Um, Amanda lays it on thick. They spend a lot of time together. And Shanda agrees to be Amanda's date to the dance. Mm. So they go to the dance together. Melinda shows up to the dance. And she's obviously pissed. Ooh. 
you know, she's jealous. She sees Shanda as competition. She gives Shanda a warning. Stay the fuck away from Amanda. Mm-mm-mm. They don't care. They continue hanging. But Shanda's mother sees changes. You know, she's failing classes. She's forging her mom's signature. And every time she's in trouble, she's with Amanda. Her mom tries to ban Amanda. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work. I mean, we're teens. That That's work. not going to happen. She also finds the letters. She knows that they're having gay sex. She goes, I actually don't care that she's gay at all. She's like, but she's 12. Yeah. She's a kid, you know, the seventh grade. And so she's really mad. So she transfers Shanda to a Catholic school to get away from the bad girl. And she said within weeks and new friends, she's trying out for cheerleading. She's busy and she actually doesn't care about Amanda anymore. So she's ignoring Amanda and Amanda gets obsessed. Amanda's pissed. Yeah. I love your noises so much. I really feel like (laughs) (laughs) so gossipy. It's just crazy. This is murder, but it's all like teen gossip. It's like, it's just, it's a lot um, to handle. So Amanda's obsessed. So Shanda writes a letter to Lisa, some other friends. And is like, I wish Amanda would stop following me and leave me alone. So she makes it really clear. Like Mm -hmm. Amanda is on my grill. Get off my jock. Get away from me. Go to sleep. Okay. So (laughs) January 11th, 1992. That's where we're at. 1045 AM. A local hunter at his favorite spot reports that he found a burned body. (gasps) No. It has been three years since the last homicide in this town. So it, you know, it shocks the town. I also want to go backwards a little bit and say that the first black officer in Southern Indiana, Curtis Wells, is like a big, um, he's the big investigator in this case. And so you can imagine he's seen some shit. He's like the first black cop in this whole county of Indiana. I'm sure, you know, he's seen a lot and he's, he's horrified about this. I mean, he's like crying in these interviews, like I I think it was really horrible. You know, they smelled burned flesh. Um, The victim was super burned and it was just really horrible. And the victims um, had clenched fists and up in there, like she was fighting. She really was fighting. Um, They found a soda bottle with accelerant in it. And this is what they didn't understand. There's so much woods. Why would you put the body out in the open? So you want someone to see the body like you could have hidden the body in the woods and it wouldn't have been found till next winter or Mm -hmm. something. So it was a little confusing. Why would you leave it out in the open? And this is where the occult stuff comes out. Where is this a satanic thing? Is this a ritual? What's going out or something? Exactly. And this all happens next to this abandoned house that's called by locals as the witch's house. Ooh. Very hocus pocus. Very Blair Witch. And teens go there to drink and do demonic shit and probably get fingered as all teens like to do. <laughs> um, so they're like, is Winifred this- Sanderson will help you get fingered. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so they're like, is, Are there rituals? What's going on here? A distraught teen shows up at the precinct that night at 9.30 p.m. Her name is Tony. And that's pretty fun. A girl's name is Tony. You know she's I used to know Tony's in the 80s when I was younger. We had like a babysitter named Tony. It was like, I think it was always Antonia, but it was like a cool 80s nickname. Uh, Yeah. It's always like when a girl has a boy's name, it's like fun. Joey for Josephine, whatever. (laughs) So Tony Lawrence says she knows something about the murder. So this is January 11th. The body is found in the morning. I'm taking us back one day to January 10th. Shanda. So basically the dad told her to turn off the TV and go to bed. At 7 a.m. when the stepmom wakes up, Shanda's not in her room. And they're like, maybe she snuck out. They've searched a few neighborhoods. They can't find her. So, you know, Steve calls the mom 
and um, you know, her heart falls to the floor and she rushes to the dad's house and she sees Shanda's purses on the table. And she goes, my daughter would go nowhere without that purse. That purse is everything yeah. to her. Call the police right fucking now. Whoa. So they call the police. They file a missing persons uh, report. They called Amanda and Amanda said, no, I have not seen her and gave a suggestion of another person and said, maybe this other person knows. So right away, we're like, maybe she knows something like, how do you, what, how are you helping? So it's a little suspicious. Tony's family. This is the girl who came to give information about the murder. She's a wallflower, good kid, but this, uh, good, (laughs) I love this, but this good kid had an evil tale to tell. Okay. They go into the room, they interview her. She's crying so much. She's unhinged. She says, basically she met a girl last night that was bragging about going to the witch's house and murdering a, a girl. And she heard the name Shanta. So suddenly this is what we always want. The counties start working together. So they called her county. They cross-examined with Shanda and they realized this is the body. And this is, we, you know, we believe that a big problem with police and how the Golden State Killer was able to kill for so long is that cops don't work with each other. Yeah. Jurisdictions like have no reciprocity. They don't speak to one another. Yeah. So this is really nice to see that Mm. the counties were communicating with each other. So midnight that night, a cop comes to the dad's door and says Shanda's gone and she has been murdered. So um, that sucks. It's really upsetting. Um, And, you know, even more upsetting, she was alive when she was set on fire and she died of smoke inhalation. (sighs) So... That sucks. Yeah. That really sucks. So Tony says this girl, Hope, and her and the other teens that are involved are in a town called Madison, 50 miles away from Shanda's town. So it's like, how do you even know Shanda? And they said they didn't know her and they didn't even have plans to know her. What happened was, so Hope and Tony are friends from kindergarten. And Hope introduces Tony to Lori Tackert. She has blonde, short hair, and she loves being gothic. Mm -hmm. So they meet this girl, Lori, and that's when Lori asks Hope, have you asked Tony yet? And Tony is like, what? What what are you talking about? And Lori says, we're going to kill a little girl tonight. And Tony doesn't believe it. She thinks it's a sick joke. She's like, yeah, sure. We're going to kill a girl tonight, Mm -hmm. you know? So Lori drives, and they're picking up another girl, and that girl wants to kill this girl. So we get the vibe that Lori just has bloodlust. She wants to murder, and she met the perfect person who has someone to murder. Okay. So we have one person who wants to kill Shanda and we have one person who's like, I don't care who I kill, but I someone just needs kill. to die. Yeah. So they get to Shanda's house around midnight and to get her out, Hope and Tony, um, Shanda's never met Hope and Tony and Hope and Tony are like, listen, Amanda's waiting for you. She wants to see you. She sent us here to get you to her. And, you know, it's love. Like she did date this girl. Like there is a little bit there. She wants to see Amanda. Um, so she leaves with these girls and without gets in the her car. purse, though, without her purse. So she leaves with two girls she's never met to go see Amanda, who she's had a relationship with and wants to see stuff. She opens the car door. She doesn't recognize any of these girls. She's like, OK, who are you? Whatever. Then. She's like, wait, I want to see Amanda. Where's Amanda? What's happening? And they're like, Amanda's waiting for you at the witch's house. Seems None of these are red flags for little Shand. It's the middle of the night. I don't know. It's the I, middle of the night. It's a car for girls you've never known. And you're going to meet your mean ex-girlfriend at the witch's house. And I'm not blaming her in any way. I just am surprised she went along with all these red flags. But I guess if I was 12 and people came to pick me up in a car, I'd be like, where, where to, you know? 
But that's the thing with these situations. One, I re- I'm like, I would. I- you're like, you totally put yourself in these shoes. And you're like, I could see myself doing it. <laughs> if someone I have like a huge crush on or because I didn't date much. But like if it was someone and they're like, listen, she's like, I don't. But it's also this thing of ignoring your gut. Who knows what Shanda yeah. was feeling and yeah. being like, no, I'll go. I'll try. You yeah, know, yeah, like, yeah. That's the whole thing. And we need to teach everyone constantly, like, listen to your intuition, no matter how foolish you right. end up being sometimes fucking follow it but we don't know so she agrees to the trip there's a twist it's not amanda it's a melinda loveless <gasps> it was melinda it's melinda i am shook right now yeah wow are you impressed with how i played this you played that i was like why are you telling me about Lori? who are these people <laughs> oh my god yeah it was melinda it's melinda it's the and, jealous girl. But didn't girl. Melinda even know that they weren't even together anymore? She didn't care. She was just like, fuck this little 12 These are murderers. Girl. This is the yeah. thing. Like, that's the oh. thing with, like, a lot of this, and SVU touches on this a lot with sociopaths. Can you rehabilitate? Can you change? Yeah. It's like an ongoing theme of the show. And multi- you can't. If you feel nothing... You will never feel anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So is it because this girl's in such a jealous rage or is she fucking kill Or is she just like, you know who would be great? This girl who pissed me off this one time. Yeah. <gasps> Melinda. They arrest uh, Lori and Melinda for the murder of this girl less than one day after the murder. Okay. So, you know, teens that murder, it takes time to get good at murdering. Like, There's yeah. a lot of evidence. And yeah. You think maybe fire takes away evidence and you know people that are professionals in fire shit are like no it creates evidence you're Mm -hmm. you're feeding us constant evidence yeah um and our favorite dr michael badden forensic pathologist he always says like a lot of killers usually they either leave something or take something Mm. it's very rare that's something like they, that, that the that scene is completely undisturbed. Yeah. yeah. Um, they find a bunch of evidence um, like they do in the SVU episode. There's blood, hair, weapons, bodily fluids. I mean, the cop was like, you could tell she had such a terrible night. Ugh. And I think SVU handled this um, adaptation very well in showing that Emily suffered in that car for hours. Yeah. yeah. And so did Shanda, unfortunately. So they start investigating exactly what happened. And Melinda, like a lot of times, her father was a monster. She was physically and sexually abused mm-hmm. her whole childhood. Her father was convicted of that. And she was just like a violent, jealous teen. And it had to be her way. And again, this is why I believe that all kids should get therapy nonstop, you know, mm-hmm. like. You can't let abuse go unchecked like this for so long. You're going to fucking snap or have some personality flaws. So Amanda's dad actually earlier filed complaints against Melinda's letters. And in the letters, she threatened to kill Shanda. But she needed Lori to help with the murder. But she was like sending Amanda letters saying she was going to kill Shanda. And Amanda didn't. Well, it said that the dad filed complaints against Melinda. So Mm. and these letters. So I don't know what the cops were waiting for, if they received these letters or not. I'm not really sure how that investigation or what if they listened. But that's another awful crime trope that always happens where cops don't do shit until it's too late. Yeah. If a cop saw those letters, I mean, I'm getting angry right now. If they saw those letters and did nothing. Um, Lori came from a fundamentalist home and so her rebellion was getting into satan and witches she loved fire arson she talks about wanting to burn someone for a very long time oh god um a true bloodlust they kept saying Lori needed to kill melinda had someone to kill so they needed someone to lure them and they really don't think that hope and that other and um tony 
knew what was actually going to happen. Like, I don't think they were fully aware of. Yeah. They needed someone to lure Shonda and they just were like these, if we, if the less these girls know, the better, just get her to come out, you know? Yeah. They just thought it would be like teaching her a lesson, maybe a couple, but even still, it's like, you guys are fucking idiots. Mm -hmm. So the two main teens are arrested, but the other two girls are also charged. So all four teens will be charged as adults. (gasps) And even hope and Tony. Yes. Yes. Because that's the thing. They had multiple times to stop this. Yeah. They did not. And, you know, I'm sure there's lots of debates about how involved, like, you know, it's how we talk about with like our government now too, where like the moderates that stay silent are the most dangerous. Mm -hmm. It's not like the most crazy of the people. It's the bystanders. It's the people that stand. Could have done some. Well, and that's like in the episode, these girls were like, we didn't do anything. And it's like, you sat there kind of like loving it. Like you didn't do anything, you know? Yeah. And uh, you know, how do, how do Tony did come to the police? So, I mean, I wonder if that gives her anything in her trial, Hmm, but I think, yeah. So the two main girls are up for the death penalty. Whoa. So to get the death penalty off the table, the girls plead guilty. Wow. December 1992, the hearings begin, but no girls go to trial. They all plead guilty. Um, There's absolutely no trial. You know, it comes out like Shanda begged and pleaded for her life. Like this was a lot of steps. They could have stopped so many times. Mm -hmm. There's like they're tying rope to Shanda. The girls did nothing. Melinda's punching her. She was like, it hurts. They did nothing. They try. Oh, God, this is awful. I forgot about this. They tried to slice her throat, but the knife was too dull. Oh, God. So they strangle her unconscious, throw her in the trunk. They start driving. She's in so much pain for hours. They drive all night and sometimes they stop to beat her. It's morning. She's still alive and they're, she's making too much noise. So they pull over. Um, Lori gets out and they hit her with a tire iron on her head as they laugh about it. The last stop is they buy the two liter soda. They fill it with gasoline and they take her... Um, to a road near Madison and they, they do it. You yeah. don't have to explain what they do. Um, the cops are pissed. They're like, there's no hell big enough for these girls. And again, another horrifying detail. I'm sorry to have to share this. She, her last words were mommy. She was like crying for her mom, which they said in the SVU. We forgot to mention that they did say that in the SVU that she, that she cried for her mommy and the girls laughed at that, which is awful. Well, um, tell me about their sentences. Well, I need I to know how much they got. So, you know, Lori and Melinda tried to blame each other, of course. Everyone's on each other. Um, so basically, the two girls, the main girls, are sentenced to 60 years in prison. Hope, 60 years in prison. <gasps> Tony was the least involved and got 20 years in prison. Well. I don't feel bad for any of these people with their sentences, yeah. obviously. And the dad never recovered. Um, and he drank himself to death and is buried next to her Shanda's dad? Yeah, he couldn't Aww. recover. I mean, losing a child in this way is so hard. Now, I do need to update everybody. All four of them are out on parole. Oh, all of them. All four. Wow. Yeah. So they each served like tw- like uh, Melinda got out last, I guess, and she served 26 years. But they're all free. And you can watch interviews of all of them chit chatting and talking um, all over town if you want. I Yeah, there's oh my they're God. out. All four of them are out. Do you think Lori learned to not like have a bloodlust and pyromaniac tendencies when she was in jail? I don't know. Cause the thing is, when I think about it, 26 years is so long, but it's not long enough. You were supposed to serve 16. And when you're 15, 
they all got out like at 41. So they can commit more crimes. Maybe they've learned. I mean, I have no fucking idea. This brings up so many more questions than answers, but the women are out. I cannot These killers believe are that out. they're on parole. They're out. Wow. They're out, well, but I'm glad people are still sitting in jail with weed charges. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Let's let these so um, arson murder teens out that, yeah. you know, tortured and murdered a girl over a whole night. And we have people sitting in jail for, you know, drug charges and people sitting in jail that haven't even been found guilty of a crime. Yeah. And yeah, these uh, murderers are out. So I guess one of the big differences in the case is just like probably the money and the bullying thing. Cause they were not a posse of girls that were all friends with each other. No. They were kind of a hodgepodge group. Um, but a lot of the other details like kind of match up with the episode, but this was not in New York city. So it was not like elite private school girls and it wasn't like girls that were friends. It was just like kind of sounds like a bunch of bored teens, to be honest. Bored, and bad, then abuse, a couple, like creepy. two bored teens met up with two psychotic teens. And this is like what happened. Yeah. So, if you have a teen, maybe sit them down and let them know not to be an accomplice to murder. Like teach your kids to stand up for stuff. I don't know. Like hope to. I understand why these two lunatics, they they are how, you know, but it's the thing. It's like the fucking Holocaust happened. We all sit by. Yeah, I yeah. Don't know. I'm part of the problem. <laughs> But I know I've not sat around as people gotten beat up and burned. No, Lisa's definitely a talker. But I also wonder when Tony and Hope got, because let's say it switched and they realized, uh uh-oh. Yeah. Well, how do they know they're not next? So I also understand the fear. Like, how do you stand up to these lunatics? That could literally just get you next and beat the shit out of you with a tire iron. Yeah. And I just want to say if anyone wants to watch any of their interviews and, you know, see these people, they're on, um, they're on YouTube. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a quick break and we come back. We're going to have a guest from the show. Really excited for our next guest. This actor has been in the controversial movie Bully. Please is a big fan, as well as Martin Scorsese's The Aviator and Lars and the Real Girl, a real talent. Yeah, and she was super incredible in the Lifetime movie, The Secret Life of Marilyn Monroe. She was very perfect and looked so much like her. We are beyond jazzed to talk today with mean girl Brittany O'Malley herself, Kelly Garner. Can you hear me? Yay! Woo! <laughs> so your character in SVU is amazing. She yells at her mom. She's not scared of jail. She is a murderer. Um, <laughs> how? Yeah, I don't even know the first question. Well, Kara, can you give it? us? Can you give us a rundown from like? Did you audition for this or like how did it go? I a hundred percent auditioned for this, um, and I I had so much confidence. I just knew I was going to get this because. I grew up with a sister who's only like two and a half years older than me. And like we, she, but we are like extremely dramatic. So I just grew (laughs) up in a household where if you did your laundry and your white sweater got dyed red, it was like screaming and crying. And it was just, my parents somehow miraculously allowed us to just be these kind of free wonderful, awful, uh, children. So yes. So I auditioned for it. You guys, I think it was one of the first times law and order, which shoots in New York came to LA to cast. And I think they came to LA to cast 
for this because uh, they wanted a very specific like valley. They wanted you know, like blonde bitchy girls. They wanted blonde bitchy girls and they came to the right place. Yeah. They came to Hollywood. <laughs> I remember hearing that fact, but this was what, 16 years ago. So I went in, I coached with my acting coach at the time when I was little. And he just, I think he just gave me really great notes where it was just go big or go home. You know, like she goes from being calm and docile to playing a victim to, you know, screaming for, you know, not even caring that she's being caught, but just doesn't want to go down alone. And so we just had fun playing with going big or going home. And I remember being so nervous in the audition because I had to sit in that chair and then just start screaming, wow. you know? And yeah. I, so that's what happened. I booked it. My hair got bleached. Blonde, I was going to ask you, did, was your hair that color or did they like hype it all the way? White? They hyped it. And here's the <laughs> thing. So I did something for this podcast, which is I watched the episode, oh, yes. <laughs> which yeah. I had not seen since it came out. And I thought I was going to cringe, <laughs> but you were impressed. I, well, I was, I mean, I was so young, but yeah, I, I mean, I was kind of impressed and I more cringed over like the color of my hair. Like I was like, why did they, my hair's like orange and straw. It's like, what is what? My theory is that you were the head evil. So you were the most blonde and it went down from there yeah. and the others, they had more mousy hair. So you could tell they weren't. Yeah. Cause the there was bitches. one girl in your group, the, the cheerleader who like barely got to talk like that girl must have not like gotten like an under five rate or something. Cause she barely got to speak. <laughs> yeah. She was definitely a five and under But with, with her five lines. She killed it. She yeah, like yeah. is genuinely yeah. crying in that scene. And I'm like, you got the Prada purse. So fun. That was the first time I met, um, Ariel Kevel. And that was the first oh, yeah. time. I went to New York city ever. And it was winter, right? Because like that, doesn't the episode start with like the snowy, the bloody snow. So yeah. it's like that New York and the winter is like a very specific time to come and see New York for the first time. Also, it was beautiful. And they put us up at one of those, like, you know, touristy big hotels that bordered the park. Yeah. And I forget which one. Uh, and we, we took like, you know, carriage rides in the snow <laughs> We were just like living it up. It was it was really fun. Well, yeah, I love that you guys got to be like a group of girl guest stars. It's usually just like one killer gets to join. So that must have been fun to have pals that are also been flown in. And we were wondering, is it wild that all this murder started because you guys were fighting over a man dressed as grapes? <laughs> was that shocking? Oh, my God. Uh, what is wrong with that grape costume, by the way? It's like pendulous grapes, like dangles in the weirdest areas. I felt bad for that actor. He was like trying to like cross his arms and be like, you know, look normal. It was really funny. Do you have any memories? We always ask everyone about any Mariska stories, iced tea, any like any moments with the on being on set with everyone. Yes. I remember just being extremely intimidated. I mean, Mariska at that point, I, I think that was the fourth season or something. And she was just so dialed in. And now having been a lead of a television show as an actor, like I just realized how much work that is like that is it's no joke. It's you just have no time. So I remember just not wanting to fuck up and everyone being super sweet, so professional. But my favorite person on the cast, which I should have looked this up last night, um, is the gentleman Dan Florek. Yes. Thank you. Um, yes, he was so, 
so wonderful in those interrogation scenes and really gave me the confidence and the liberty to just like trust my instincts. Um, because you, you can really play in those scenes and he just could not have been a more giving, wonderful actor. And I've never forgotten how he made me feel. Um, and in fact, sometimes when I don't feel great about myself, like he'll be one of those, those voices in my head that like, just, I would just remember from him just instilling me. Oh my with God. I'm like going to cry. I love so, it. So Captain Kragen for the win. So you're also in the movie bully, which horrified me when I watched it. I remember when it came out, I remember like renting it from blockbuster and you play a, another killer teen kind of. Yeah. What do you think it is about you? <laughs> don't know maybe i'm a psychopath and i've just not discovered it yet um actually i think larry clark on the set have bully had had told me a really interesting thing and i believe i shot bully was shot before law and order and i think that's why my hair is so many weird colors because they had dyed my hair blue from like manic panic and i had just it took me years to try and get it normal but larry had said because i really had to fight for bully because it was this sweet looking you know southern california innocent i didn't do drugs like i didn't belong in that world strangely but i fought for it and i read it and and he liked me as an actor and he said you know it's easier for me to take an actress and dye her hair and put her in clothing and put her in great hair and makeup and, you know, get this performance from her and care than to care about watching this person kind of slip or fall from society or not make a right choice or go back to drugs or do this thing. It's, it's better to take someone who has that kind of innocence, which I had at the time I was 17 versus somebody who understands that life and to try to get the audience to have empathy for that person. So you were saying like you and your sister were kind of dramatic together and you play yeah, we still like, are. Yeah. 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 We can't well, talk I have a sister sometimes. too. I have a sister too. I get it. Um, and you play a mean girl in this click of mean girls in this, in this movie. And is there any, a part of you that was like that when you were in high school or anything? Did you have any mean girl tendencies? I do have mean girl tendencies, but as I got older, when I was in high school, I did not have mean girl tendencies. In <laughs> fact, I was picked on by the mean girls oh. because I had started acting and was in things that people had seen. So then I was like, Oh, like Kelly thinks she's like better than everybody. And like Kelly this. And like, so I kind of got that type of shit from the girls who were supposed to be my friends. And then I also had like a really messed up mouth for so long. So I just don't think I was ever like, I didn't like fit the part aesthetically to like be a mean girl when I was younger. Cause I was just like, uh, it took me a second to come into myself. If I ever did, <laughs> if I ever did come into myself is, is still a question in my mind, but no, when I got older, I became a mean girl and I understand, I get kind of where it comes from. Um, because being young and successful and then in Hollywood and living in Hollywood, it was hard. And so I could see those tendencies of, it was a real need to almost like deflect and defend myself against other people's comments or other people's judgments. And so, yeah, I, I had these years where I knew that I was such a sweet person, but I could see how I would, um, Oh God, I don't know. Yeah. Well, and in the SVU episode, they um, Dr. Huang uh, talks about how girls are not raised to be aggressive. And so we fight in these passive aggressive, manipulative ways. So we, we're still ladylike while being mean. And I liked learning that. 
It's true. I think we, I think we use our female relationships to kind of learn a lot about ourselves and it gets, it's, it's a tough one, man. I mean, female relationships, as I got older, I now have some of the most beautiful, healthy female relationships in my life. But in my early twenties, I just couldn't tell what was real, who wanted something, um, who was, you know, talking shit behind my back, who was, it's just hard and you're alone and you're scared and you're just trying to figure it out yourself. Would you do SVU again? Like if they came knocking? Of course. I think if anyone came knocking, I think it's important to look at the people who want to work with you, even Mm -hmm. though we all have aspirations and want to, you know, have the people we want to work with. I think it's so important to always look at the people who want to work with you now. So if that wasn't who see like your value as you are. So yeah, they came knocking a hundred percent. It's funny because I think it was a couple of years ago. I went in, it was with, with Dick Wolf and it was like a big room for one of his new shows. And it was funny because as soon as I stepped in, they all remember me. It was like the same casting or the same, all remember me from that girl, you know? And so, yeah, of course I would. They were probably all like, do not mess with her. He's she legend. will stab you. Yeah. I feel like it would have to be a right role. I, I could never, it's hard. I mean, I'll go read for them all the time, but if just me as an FBI agent or anything in that field just seems really like a, like a stretch, but as like a guest <laughs> star who's maybe a little unstable, like I can do that. Yeah. I get that. But yeah, to play like the tough cop, um, maybe one day, maybe I'll calm and be able to like center and not yeah. be so- <laughs> I do have some non-SVU questions, if that's okay. Yeah, shoot. Um, so I grew up on some like it hot, and my mom's obsessed with Marilyn Monroe. We have stuff all over the house. I was just like raised on her, and you killed it. I mean, you totally embodied her. It was insane to watch, and it was just so good. And the wardrobe was so good. The wardrobe, Gersha Phillips. Yeah, there was like a white little overall shorts thing with like a red and a pink pajama tool dress that was so good. And I was just wondering what your experience was playing such a... Well, first, did you feel like the hottest girl in the world? You're like, oh, I'm being... I ch- I'm playing Marilyn Monroe. This is... <laughs> well, well, there were moments where, yes, you were on set and you were lit and what's... Um, the guy who shot all of Matt, Chris Manley shot all of Mad Men. So it was just like, it looked beautiful, mm. especially for a lifetime film. Like it just like really looked beautiful. And so, yeah, there were moments with the wig and the hair and the makeup that you did. I did feel like the most beautiful woman in the world. And then I would go back to my trailer and like get a look at myself in the mirror and be like, Oh, I'm not Marilyn Monroe. Like they also had her like a thousand images of her face pasted in every like head department's office. If it was makeup or wardrobe or, uh, or a set deck. And so it was, she's unbelievably unreal. Like I would have loved to have seen what her face looked like in person. And apparently like one of the first faces of plastic surgery, Mm -hmm. which is crazy. Her x-rays, her like work x-rays were sold at auction. I think like a handful of years ago. So it was really daunting to play, but I love Marilyn Monroe. I mean, I just, she's intoxicating and she's a child and a she's a woman in process, you know? She's like trying to be all these things. And I, I really think too, like she had, had it rough because she, in a time where woman was trying to be defined, she was almost defining this archetype of woman that is still unsettled. 
And then another selfish question I have is Leonardo DiCaprio was my number one crush growing up. Um, was that fun? How was that working with him? That was so much fun. Uh, that was so much fun. That was my, I mean, I was in love with him. I was, I, I mean, Roman Juliet, like I couldn't believe that I was getting to do that. And I was so nervous too, because it's Scorsese and it's DiCaprio. And I think I'm in the scene too, with like Alec Baldwin at one point. And I got to have all these like private Samba lessons with like Leonardo DiCaprio. And like once it had to be with like the dance instructor in his like hotel room, because he had flown in late from, I think like hanging out with Giselle on the weekend. And I was like, <laughs> it was, I was like in Montreal and I was like, this is crazy. He goes, meet me at my hotel. Like the dance instructors there. And so, you know, I got to do all these private lessons and it was just a dream. And I remember being on set and just almost having a panic attack. Cause I also have dark eye contacts for this role. And every time I would blink, they would just kind of like move and like wash over this like dark color would wash over my eyes. And I was having tunnel vision. I was having a panic attack. Oh, God. And I was in these like real vintage clothes. And I just remember I'm ice. I sweat so much <laughs> from my armpits. I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know if it's healthy. I just do. I think it's and healthy. I remember just being mortified because I had sweat all day. And then at the end of like a fucking 19 hour day, I had to do the Samba with Leonardo DiCaprio in a vintage dress. And you know, if anyone's ever worn a vintage dress and you sweat in it, it just smells like a hundred years of mothballs. Yeah. And so I'm like dancing with him and I'm just like, it's not, it's not me that smells. It just, it's the dress. Like, I just want you to know <laughs> it's not me. It's the dress. And I was just a young dork. I was 19 <laughs> in the hands of Romeo and just wow. Embarrassing. He's so sweet though. He's a uh, very sweet. He wonderful guy. Oh, oh my God. What a great interview. Yeah. I mean, obviously she loved Leonardo DiCaprio too. I wouldn't trust anyone who doesn't, didn't have a crush on yeah. him. Yeah. I stan a down to earth actress. I really feel like she seemed really just like, yeah, I had to samba when I was sweaty with Leonardo DiCaprio. It's a fucking dramatic. It is weird because in Aviator, he plays a fucking weirdo. Like, I don't know. I've never seen that movie. So I was kind of letting you take the lead <laughs> on that. Also, I loved that we learned facts from Kelly. I didn't know that that was like the first time they went to L.A. to cast. I yeah. thought they never cast in L.A. I didn't think they ever cast in L.A., but they went out there looking for blonde bitches and they got what they came for. And I love that she holds on to Captain Cragen's <gasps> Dan Flork's advice Melted for life. my heart. Melted. So nice. I love Dan Florek. I'm a Dan Florek stand for life. And I think that's so sweet that like he's the person that like stuck in her head as like one of her voices forever. That's so cute. Yeah. I think uh, advice for everyone about that is like when people tell you nice things, remember <laughs> Kelly Garner, everyone let's, let's get into our postmortem. We learned if you're a parent, honestly, Kara, you should let Rosie yell at you because then she might become a successful actress. <laughs> okay. But she could also be a stabber who takes a bunch, <laughs> takes a girlfriend on a joyride and then stabs her to death because she went out with her grape suited boyfriend. Oh, God. I don't know if I'm going to allow the yelling. I'll have okay. to decide. I think I would say I learned don't lie to the police when you know you're about to be caught. Like with the phone scene. When you're a teenager, please do not think you're smarter than the police. You're just not. Maybe if you're like hiding text messages inside of an app on your phone. It's like, they're always going to find it. 
like Taru is going to find it. They're going to find everything you're talking about. I, I do applaud the changing of the um, voicemail, though. I think that that's like pretty smart for like when your parents call. That's another lesson. If you are trying to sneak out, do that. Yeah. Switch, switch some numbers, switch. Yeah. But then uh, if the you get busted, off. you got to come clean. The cops are definitely going to find out. Stabler will call your bluff. Yeah. I mean, I guess this is a lesson for every episode, but it's like, don't kill. Yeah. You're going to yeah. go to jail. Also, if you steal things from the victim, uh, don't wear it to court. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no ring is cute enough to get busted on the stand wearing. Also, class rings. What? We're not in the 70s. No, no one no, needs no, no, that. No, 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 baby. No, we're not going to no do one class needs rings to know. anymore. If you have a high school ring, go to therapy. If that's something <laughs> that you're like holding on to and enjoying and wearing. Yeah. If high school were, was the best days of your life, I'm sorry. About the true crime, it's like, listen to your mother. Don't listen. Don't be... I don't even don't leave your house in the middle of the night with strangers. Yeah, please don't do that. That was a poor little Shonda share mistake. I just whew. keep an eye on teenagers is all I'm saying. Like a teenager yeah. who's known as having a thirst for blood. That's not good. Let's get uh, her into a youth group of some sort. Let's get her to some school counseling. Um, also, when the cops come to talk to you about your friend's daughter being murdered, Maybe be upset. Stop walking. Stop walking for five seconds. Just pause. <sighs> You're wearing a fur. Can you just at <laughs> least shed one tear? One tear. That made me so mad. Like, I honestly would gasp for a teenager I don't know being murdered. That's what I'm about to like, say. I cry <laughs> constantly about things I don't know personally at all. And this is like, oh, my daughter will be so bummed. Anyway, I've got to go. <laughs> Yesterday, I cried at a montage of Obama being nice to children. Yesterday, I cried at Moana for the 10th time. So I don't know what to tell you. My threshold for tears is very low these days. All right. Now let's find out what would Sister Peg do? This is our weekly segment where we give you a little resource, organization, piece of reading, something that you can do to get more information on a subject that was touched on in today's episode. And today we'd like to direct your attention to stompoutbullying.org. Um, this was obviously an episode that had a lot to do with the nightmare cycle of high school bullying. And I think that whether or not you have school age children or anything like that, this is always great to learn more about how we can incorporate, you know, inclusion and equality and diversity. And or if you're a real housewife who feels personally victimized, systematically bullied. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you're also a grown woman that owns a wine company for no reason um, <laughs> and feels bullied when someone just calls you out, you can also reach out to this org. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, in all seriousness. Yeah. Stompoutbullying.org. Important organization. Please give it a Look, um, we just want to touch really quickly on an organization that we shouted out a couple weeks ago that one of our guests is involved in that's called Prison Fellowship. Um, someone brought to our attention that that group has some anti-LGBTQ and anti-trans leanings, and that is not something we would want to support. So if you want to check out our show notes this week, we're highlighting uh, lambdalegal.org, which has a, there's an entire list on their website of resources for transgender and gender nonconforming prisoners and their allies. 
including the ACLU and a lot of other organizations. So check out this list at the link in our show notes. Next week, we're going to be watching season 21, episode seven, Counselor, It's Chinatown, an incredible episode. And all episodes, like always, are on Hulu and Peacock. And I know we get messages from people all over the world and they're struggling to find it. So get on an illegal site and get to work. And if you're unable to write down what next week's episode is, don't forget that we put it in our show notes for today's episode and it will be on our Instagram and Twitter pages on Thursday. And we will see you next week. Bye. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmesseduppod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at That's Messed Up Pod and on Twitter at Messed Up Pod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer and fellow SVU superfan, Hannah Kyle Creighton. Thank you to our heroes, Stephen Ray Morris and Annalise Nelson, our engineers. To Henry Kapersky, musical extraordinaire for our theme song. To our artistic queen, Carly Jean Andrews, for all of our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstart, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Listen, subscribe, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Dun-dun! Dun-dun.